And we're reading from verse 1 to verse 7. So, Joshua chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went in and none went out. And the Lord says to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, with its king and mighty men of valor, and you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once, and you shall do it for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day you shall march round the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people will shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and says to them, Take the Ark of the Covenant and let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he says to the people, Go forward, march round the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. So our verses this morning are a story that we probably know quite well, which is the story of the falls of the walls of Jericho. And this morning I want to speak about something that, now this title popped into my head last night as I was driving back from uh, Glasgow and I've not been able to shake it, so I've decided I'm going to use it. And I'm I'm calling this sermon The Perception Threshold. Now that might sound like the name of an episode of The Big Bang Theory, But it is the name of our sermon for this morning. And and what I mean by the perception threshold, I'm going to try and explain firstly by illustration and then by description. And hopefully we will um, understand where I'm coming from as we do that. So let's try something. And I'm going to ask you to to raise your hand if you would do whatever it is I suggested, okay? So I wonder, if your best friend goes to a restaurant and really enjoys it and then recommends that you go to it because you love it, would you go? Yeah. Yeah. So our decision making within that process would be we trust the person and therefore that the information is of worthwhile merit and we would go. Yeah. Supposing uh, your best friend says, I really fancy going mountain climbing. Do you want to come along with me? Would you go? Oh, the numbers have dropped. So our decision-making processes have assessed things slightly differently. And this time we're a bit more hesitant. What about if your best friend was uh, the world's most experienced mountain climber? Would you go then? The hands are staying pretty similar. There's a few extra hands that are going up. And to really push things, supposing you did go and you went with your friend and you went to the top of this mountain and you saw all the sights that were there and your friend says, wouldn't it be a great idea just to run and jump off the edge of this mountain? Would you do it? (laughs) 
And for those hands that are currently up, yeah, it's a bit of a worry. We would normally not do that because what we would make is a decision at that point that actually my friend's knowledge and wisdom and understanding has clearly reached its limit. And if I was to do what they are suggesting, I would place myself in imminent danger. And therefore, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to step back from what I see as a threat. I would like to think you would also take your friend away from the the threshold of the mountain as well. And we would avoid that situation. And this is what I'm talking about when, when, when I say the, uh, the perception threshold. What I'm talking about is the place that we come to when all the different factors are at play in a decision come together and we make a decision. We make a choice based on all these different things that we will be pulling to make that decision and that basis. And that, in those examples, there are some where we're drawing on experience and our understanding of things, and we make an assessment in our mind and decide, yeah, this situation is fine, such as going to the restaurant. We would do that, and it's not an issue. And as the ratchet up and the risk and the gamble and the danger, our variables change, and quite rightly so. They should change. If we thought the same of going to a restaurant as we did about running off the edge of a mountain, then there would be something a wee bit up with our risk assessments. So we have this illustration of what I'm trying to call a perception threshold. Perception is at play in, I think, all the decisions that we make. When it comes to what people are asking of us or saying to us, we are asking ourselves questions by, by default. Automatically, do we trust them? Do they have integrity? Do they have the experience or the skill to, or the knowledge for me to trust what they are saying at this point? And that is what I think is a perception threshold, where all that stuff comes together, where we decide what is wise, what is foolish, what is yes, what is no, what is trust, what is hesitation, what is do, and what is don't. And we all, when we make these decisions, are drawing from multiple different sources. And what fascinates me in our story here is Joshua finds himself with this huge obstacle. This city surrounded by walls. And let's remember, this isn't like these days when if you had a big huge city surrounded by walls, you can just call in uh, a JCB or get a stick of dynamite and everything would resolve itself pretty quickly. No, this is back in the days when walls were very, very effective defences. And he spends this time with God. And what he finds is God detailing a rather puzzling plan. Because what God asks Joshua to do is not to actually engage the wall in any significant way at all. He asks them to walk around the wall. What he's asking for from Joshua, ultimately, and the the, the people of Israel, is a demonstration of obedience. Because let's not be in two doubts about this. Walking around a wall 
for seven for six days then doing the celebration stuff and shouting on the seventh day is not going to demolish a building. I think if it had, most school pupils would have levelled most schools. It wouldn't work. He doesn't even instruct them to throw a single stone at the wall. They don't engage with the actual obstacle. What God asks them to do is to engage with the one who can help them overcome the obstacle. That they were to look and seek by faith for God's power. And I do wonder, because clearly when when you read this, Jericho was shut up inside and out. They'd, They'd shut the hatches. They knew that this was a dangerous situation for them to be in. But you kind of wonder, by day five, as they're watching these events unfold outside of the walls, they're probably thinking, actually, these people are not quite the threat that we maybe thought they would be. And maybe some of the people doing the marching, because let's face it, if we know one thing about the Israelites, it's that they were pretty good at having a right good moan. Maybe some of these people were thinking, what on earth are we doing? We're marching round and round. Round and round. And on and on. But here is this big obstacle that they weren't actually facing. And for me, what we see with Joshua is he faces one of these perception thresholds to decide what to do. He goes to God with this obstacle. And then God gives him this command. And he's got to decide, does he act or not? Does he obey or not? And he demonstrates through this whole story, and through most of his life actually, this remarkable faith in God and he acts unwaveringly on what God has asked of him with trust, with faith, with obedience. Why? And what can we learn from that as a people who seek to live faithfully before God? As a people who seek to live obediently before God as he asks us to overcome big challenges like building him this site here in Ellen. And there are three things, shockingly enough, that I think are very valuable in our perception thresholds, especially when it comes to God. And these are knowledge and trust and action. Knowledge, trust and action. And for Joshua, I think we see these three things working together. Knowledge. Knowledge. He had, the, he had this experience with God. But he also had, and if you look in Joshua chapter 1, and this is from verse, from verse 5 in Joshua chapter 1, God tells Joshua as he's commissioning him, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as it was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their, fo- to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law of Moses that my servant commanded to you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. That you may have good success wherever you go. Joshua is one that knew God. 
he had, maybe we would call it an advantage to, to us because he'd lived through these remarkable experiences as Israel left Egypt, as Israel went through the wilderness. And he was one that displayed a remarkable knowledge of God. And he had experienced God in the most remarkable ways. He knew God. He knew these words that God had spoken to him and he trusted that these words would be true. He knew that the God that he followed was faithful. The God that he followed was powerful. The God that he followed was fully capable of doing that which he had set out to do even if the methods might have seemed unusual. So he had knowledge of God and he trusted God as well. He acted on this knowledge that he had and he trusted the one who was asking. You know, sometimes knowledge, I think, can only get us actually so far. Because the truth is that no matter how much we actually learn about God, no matter how much we learn about his word, no matter how much experience we have of God, God is so big, so vast, so powerful, that we are never actually going to fully comprehend or grasp God. And sometimes in life will come challenges that are bigger than the knowledge that we have of God. That is an inevitability. And when we meet those places, this is when trust kicks in. Joshua trusted God. He trusted God implicitly. He trusted God remarkably. And he acted on the information that he had, that God had revealed to him. And went forward faithfully and obediently with it. And he sent the people on what some would consider a fool's errand. To march and march and march and march and march and march. Then march some more and then shout some. And see what happened. But he knew the God that was asking. And he chose to trust the God that was asking. According to any method of man, this wouldn't work. But according to the word of God, it did work. Joshua tro- chose to trust God. Which trust is, I think, at its fundamental basis, a choice that we make. It isn't something passive, it's something we choose. And it's one of the most significant and important things that we have as people. And then Joshua acted. And that's where the rubber hits the road. And if we go back to that perception threshold thing, this is when we take all this information that we've lumped together and we make a decision. And we move forward on the basis of what we have pulled together and the decision that we've made. What we do how we respond, whether we're going forward, whether we're going backward. This is where the rubber hits the road. And for Joshua, he did exactly what God had asked of him. 
No question, no doubt, no matter how unusual it might have seemed, no matter how it may have seemed that it wasn't going to address what he wanted it to address, the obstacle, these huge walls remained. But God asked them to set their eyes and fix their eyes, not on the obstacle, but on the one they would overcome it. The one who had the power to make these walls flat. So Joshua acts. Joshua acts and rallies the people and gives them the instructions that he'd received from God and sets them on this path. And of course, we all know because the story is one that's famous, that as they obey God and do what God's asked, as they act on that basis, no matter how puzzling it may seem, those walls did, in fact, come tumbling down. And God, once more, was shown as faithful. And what of us? This morning I want us to think specifically about the building. But I've written this in such a way that I'm hoping it will touch on more than that as well. But with the building, there are many challenges. Many challenges for us as a community to navigate. Money, of course, is one. In a short while, we'll find out what we've raised today. But money is a challenge. That's just the reality of living in our world. We have to raise the money to pay people. They're quite keen that we do, in fact, pay them. So there is a challenge for us. One that can make us think, is this possible? As figures come... And as we move further into this process, we might think, is this even possible? Can it be done? We've got architects to try and employ. We've got planning to try and navigate through. We've got people who will make decisions that we could really do with having the favour of. And all these different things, we are trusting that there is a God that's gone before us. And will open up doors and give us favour. And ultimately we will find ourselves in a place where that which we have discerned and that which we desire, which is a building on this site, comes to pass. But there will be obstacles. Obstacles. Much like the walls that Israel faced. And what God is asking of us is that as we navigate through the obstacles, much like as people Israel, we keep our eyes fixed on the one that gives us the strength and the power to overcome them. And we need, I think, these three things as well. These three things for when we meet the different challenges, when we get to that place, that thing that I've called our perception threshold, and we think, actually, I don't know if my God or my trust is big enough for me to think that I can keep moving on. And we might find ourselves as individuals in that place when it comes to the news and the information that we will receive about the building, and we will think about that we've met that place and other place, places in our life as well. These three things, knowledge... How well do we know our God? 
And I'm asking that question not to trigger any sense of guilt. It's a practical question where I'm asking you neutrally, how well do you know your God? Is that knowledge growing? Are we giving ourselves opportunity for it to keep growing? Are we protecting our quiet times? Engaged in Bible study and house groups and prayer meetings and in all these different ways that we can draw near to God and continue to get this deeper relationship with him. How well do we know our God? And we have our testimony. We, we had a testimony briefly shared by the guys that have been doing Step Out and what they've learned and what they've experienced as they have done it. Each of us has a testimony, a testimony of our experience and our walk with God, of the times that we've powerfully and clearly seen him work in our lives. I would encourage us to weave that testimony into the fabric of our lives. Now it's interesting, what did Israel do with its testimony of God? They made it their identity. They built everything around it, from their feasts to their special days to their holy days. All these things were marks of a testimony of God's hand and the life of that people. Your testimony isn't merely a story that you crack out when you think you've found somebody that's listening. It's a source of strength, experience, knowledge, hope. Because in that... We've seen the power, the faithfulness of our God at work in our lives. Hold firm to your testimony. It's part of what you know about God. And continue growing in our understanding and our knowledge and our relationship with him. So we need knowledge. How well do we know our God? We need trust. Trust is always, I think, one of the biggest challenges we face. It's a leap of faith where God now has us, actually, with a building and what is required next. I think one of the most remarkable things I've ever witnessed as a Christian is when we had our emergency church meeting and everyone came together to discern what God was asking us to do as a community when it comes to this proposal. And we got a unanimous decision to go forward. Unanimous decisions don't come very often in Baptist churches, by the way. You're going to see a blue moon sometimes quicker than a unanimous decision. That is the truth of the matter. Yet we got a unanimous decision. But what was absolutely amazing about that unanimous decision was underpinning it all was this recognition that God was asking us to begin and carry through this journey by faith. Because there was obstacles What was required was faith. Faith to begin it. And we displayed that when we voted unanimously. Faith to go through it. And this will be displayed as we meet each and every obstacle that comes. Faith to support it. And we've done that today with things like the given day. And I hope we do that frequently as we pray for what God is going to do as he leads us through this process and for those such as the Bowden team who are intimately involved in trying to navigate this process.
But we began this part of the journey with this powerful, unanimous recognition that what we needed was faith and trust. And I think that is the best possible place for us to launch anything such as this from. So we chose, we recognised that we must trust God. And an awareness that there would be obstacles and challenges. And this morning I I remind us that when these come, we lift our eyes as God asked of Joshua and these people beyond the obstacles to the one that can move us past them. To the God that will give us the strength, the wisdom and all that we need. The reality is, I think, often, especially as Western people, we, rationalism is a big thing for us. We like to have a logical framework in which to build decisions and plans and way forward. And I think we would like that even for trust as well. That it has a clear, concrete, solid, evidence-based foundation. But that's not always how trust worked. Or how trust works. The reality is, sometimes trust can make us feel uneasy. It can, make it, it can feel like a gamble. Because we are taking a leap of faith. But it never is a gamble. Not when it's with God anyway. Because he is faithful. And he always will be with his people. The choice for us then is to trust God. To trust God even with things that might seem massive to us. Even with things that might seem massive to us. We trust God. Because even though we might not think in our knowledge that God is bigger than the problem. And in our experience that God is bigger than the problem. But we're told that God is bigger than the problem. And we trust that God is bigger than whatever it might be. So when it comes to the building, what I'm saying is we trust And continue to trust God. We began the journey with that. We are at this point with that. And we will get to the completion point with that. And we display that today. As we support this project that God has put in our hearts financially. But I would also say that we do that with every part of our lives. No matter the problems we're facing. No matter what our perception of God may be. He is bigger than any obstacle always no matter what it might be and we can trust him we can place our trust in him even if our knowledge and our experience aren't at that place and know that he will do what is best what is good what is right and finally there is action for the building we see it today in the most obvious way and given There is action when we pray. There is action when we discern together. Us saying yes, we believe, we trust and we go forward. Action is the key area. 
It's where all these variables that are at play come together. We draw them together and we make that decision. For all the challenges that we face as people, as a church, for the building, the one certainty, the one sure thing we can do is to place our faith and our trust in God. It's what Joshua did and we see these remarkable results. It's what we've done in our lives and we've seen it in our testimonies. Let's continue to trust God. And to be encouraged, actually, because the God that we follow and the God that we are placing our trust in has answered many of our prayers in remarkable ways. And he will continue to do so. He will lead us forward and he will get us to that final point that we are seeking. And we are seeking it because we know that it is his will. God will never leave us. He's always faithful. And he will open up the doors that are required for this journey. You know, our God is remarkable. He's remarkable. Do we ever stop to actually think about just how remarkable he is? And I say this with my mind turning as we have thought about trust in God and knowing God. And in acting on that trust, we have no greater example of any of this than Jesus Christ, who displayed all these things. But he lived his life out in such an amazing way that in a moment we're going to be able to share communion together, knowing that what God has done not only means that we're going to get a building and that we're trusting for a building, but God has reconciled, brought each and every one of us back to him once more. We're going to share communion together. And communion reminds us of the faithfulness of God. And that when God says he's going to do something, he himself isn't even afraid 